chapter 8 of Luke, there is a question in this passage in the 8th chapter of Luke that I want you to note. So let's get to it. Verse 22. Now it came about on one of those days that he, Jesus, and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake. And they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind, the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. Here's the question. Where is your faith? Now let me pause to say that the question is is not asked because of the absence of faith. He asked the question to locate their faith. That is, where was it located? Where was it placed? What was its object? We We could translate it like this. Where have you placed your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Now, chapter 30 of Isaiah. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. Verse 5. Everyone will be ashamed because of a people who cannot profit them, who are not for help or profit, but for shame and also for reproach. Verse 7. Even Egypt, whose help is vain and empty, therefore I've called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Now go write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that it may serve in time to come as a witness forever. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Every day of our life is built on faith. So that almost everything we do every day is established on trust. You got up this morning and you flipped the light switch because you believed that light would come on to fill the darkened room. You were exercising faith. And it would have surprised you if the light had not come on. You would say, what's going on here? If it surprises you when it does, then you're not living in faith. When you leave this morning, you'll go out and you'll put your key in the ignition and you'll turn the ignition 
If that car doesn't start, you'll be surprised. Well, most of you. Some of you may have a car that is, wouldn't surprise you if it didn't start. But, but generally, um, and we're exercising faith for everything in life depends on that. School starts in a couple of weeks and you'll sit in that classroom and exercise faith believing that what's in that book is true, what that teacher says is true. You're exercising faith in that bench you're sitting on this morning. And you go to the doctor and you trust what he says and you go to the pharmacist and you trust that what he gives you is correct. All of life is established on faith. The question this morning is not who has faith and who has not faith. For everybody has faith. Salvation is through faith. Why? Because that's the elementary factor of life. Even a child has it. That's why the scripture refers to the faith that saves as a childlike faith. It's his nature to trust is a little child. Christmas Evans, a pastor of an ancient generation used to say that you could put a guy in a barrel chain the barrel put a lid on it, chain it up, drill a hole in it and shout the gospel to him through that hole and he can be saved. What he meant was that everybody has what is necessary for the most essential and important things of life. Everybody has faith. So the question this morning is not who has faith the question is, where is your faith placed? And that was the question that Jesus asked his disciples. I love the question. When he rebuked the wind and calmed the storm, he turned to them, not to ask them concerning the absence of their faith, but to, to point out where it had been placed. For you see, they were trusting in a calm lake instead of the Lord of the lake and the storm. And they placed their faith in a calm boat instead of the Lord of the boat. And they were a demonstration of a misplaced faith. Now I have an idea that when you draw the bottom line on your sin, perhaps your greatest sin is not that you have no faith, but that you have misplaced it. I think that's the story, perhaps, of all of us. It is the story of the nation of Judah. There is a classic example of a misplaced faith in the 30th chapter of Isaiah. Let me give you some background. The Assyrians have become the dreaded enemy of Israel. They are now threatening their national security, their very life, their their lives and fortune, fortunes and sacred honor, so to speak. And so they run down to Egypt to find some security. They thought if we can get in the shadow of the eagle of Egypt, we can find deliverance and security and rest there. It's the problem God has always had with His people. The problem that God has always had with His people is this that whenever they get in a tight, they take a trip to Egypt and find, try to find security there. Let me say parenthetically that every time you read in the Scripture the statement that they made a trip to Egypt, it's always down to Egypt. It's never out to Egypt or over to Egypt or up to Egypt. 
Because anytime you move away to place your faith in some other thing than God, it's always down. It's always away from God. That's the problem most of us have. I suppose it is the problem of the church in the 20th century, not that we have little faith or lack of faith, but that our faith is misplaced. Instead of saying, I'm just going to wait and sit still and trust God, I'm just going to wait for His deliverance, I'm just going to believe that God is going to accomplish what I cannot do. We make a trip down to Egypt, whatever that Egypt is. Now sooner or later, there will always be an Assyrian army. Sooner or later, there'll be something that will threaten your security. Sooner or later, there's going to be something that will come into your life and disturb it. And the question this morning is, how do you respond to that? And how do you react? And where do you turn? And the text begins, woe. Because the man to be pitied, that's what that word means, to be pitied. The man to be pitied is the person who has misplaced his faith. Now I've learned in the seminary that in every text there is a fundamental proposition. So the fundamental proposition of this text is that a misplaced faith is a sin against God. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 1 that it adds sin on top of sin. It means it's bad today, it gets worse tomorrow. It increases and it intensifies. And the irony of all of this is, is that once they went to, to, Egypt, to Assyria to, to form an alliance against Egypt, and now they're running down to Egypt to form an alliance against Assyria. And the essential truth, and every text has an essential truth, and the essential truth is this, that where you misplace your faith, that object will always become your greatest enemy. You may put trust in money, it will eventually become your greatest enemy. You may place that faith in a thousand different things, but you can mark it down. It will eventually become the very thing that torments you and disturbs you. Now I want to say three or four things about the sin of a misplaced faith. Assuming that it is true, most of us have faith, it's just misplaced. First, it is sin of faithlessness. It is a sin of faithlessness. It is saying, I don't believe God can deliver me. It is saying, I don't believe God can meet my need. That's what it's saying. I have discovered something in the years that I've studied the matter of faith in Scripture, and it's, the, and it's this. There is an exclusiveness to faith. You can't trust to trust, total obedience. For you either trust God, a misplaced faith is the sin of forgetfulness. This. That what the Bible does from the beginning to the end is use and rehearses again and again what God has done. I want to say, you know, what happened to your memory? You know, just a few days by AI, they want to go back to Egypt. And I get kind of impatient with Israel. I have a feeling that as they read the religious history of most of us, at one time did they ever get their backs against the wall, but that he delivered them. And so Peter writes in his second epistle that anybody who tasked our promises and we forget. 
just a few and they were scarred and gnarled and twisted, awakened with a smell of smoke. And I rushed into your room and flames was, have been scarred and gnarled and twisted. Faith is the sin of foolishness. And so he said, do a little studying for Sunday night. I heard this kind of gentle rap on my door and I went to the door and there was a young woman standing there about 30 years old. And I asked her to come in and, and she said, I, I was wondering if you could give me some help. I said, well, I think maybe I can, you know. I said, sit down and, and tell me what you need. She said, well, we have two small children. We're just up here visiting my husband's grandmother. And she didn't have anything and said, my kids are hungry and we're hungry. Could you help us with some food? And I said, well, I think I can. And I, this, this girl looked different than, you know, a lot of them had come through here. And one last night, as a matter of fact. And so I just kind of, I was just really curious. I just kind of screwed up a little courage. And I said, can I ask you a question? She said, uh, yes, sir. I said, why is it that, that it's always the wives that come and ask for stuff? I said, why doesn't your husband come and ask me for this? And she started crying. She said, my husband was a Baptist preacher. He's ashamed to come. And I said, well, you tell your husband, I'm going to give you something to eat today. I want him to meet in my office in the morning at 10 o'clock. I want him to be here. If he doesn't come here, I'm going to come see him. I got her address. And that guy came into my office, and he sat down, and this was his story. He said, I'm embarrassed, and I'm humiliated, and I'm ashamed. He said, I was pastor of a church in Brenham, Texas, a big church evidently, pretty good size. And he said, one day, for some reason, I got up on Sunday morning and I walked out and I turned my back on God and my wife, this woman he's married to was his second wife. He said, I walked away and I didn't quit walking, quit running till I got up to the northeast part of the United States. And he said, I no longer believe in God. And where he had placed his faith had become his shame. It'll always happen. Your humiliation will come at the point where you misplace your faith. And the tragedy of this is, is that it not just, does not just bring humiliation to you, it brings humiliation to Him. And there's a play on words in verse 9. And if you have a King James, it's not a good translation. It says, for this is a rebellious people, lying sons is the King James, false sons is best. But that word there means sons who bring dishonor to their father. You see. Now watch this. When you misplace your faith, you bring dishonor to your father. Suppose your children this morning, when we left this church, went out here to the, to the corner of this main street, a car goes by, and they walk up to the window of that car and say, could you give me some 
food, my dad won't feed me. Can you give me some clothes? My father won't clothe me. Can you give me some, a place to sleep? I'm, my father won't have, let me sleep in the house. What kind of shame and humiliation does that bring to the father? What, what does God feel when we go to every person and everything for our security? I ask you that. One last thought, please. A misplaced faith is a sin of failure. Now I need to read verses 15 through 17, so look at them carefully with me. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. What a word. In quietness and trust is your strength. Well, I mean these Assyrians are bearing down on us. We're just supposed to trust. That's right. We're to find our strength against the Assyrians and just being still and quiet and trust. That's correct. And you said, by the way, you were not willing for you said, No, for we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee. There's a play on words in the Hebrew. What it says is, we're going to fly away, said you're going to run. And we'll ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you will be swift. That's another play on words. We'll be, we'll fly. No, he said, no, you'll run, they'll fly. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one man. You shall flee at the threat of five until you're left as a flag on a mountaintop and as a signal on a hill. You know what that means? Like where they put up their banners and that's all that's left. And the armies run for their life and all that's left of them there is a flag on a pole. Now this is what God is saying. He's saying, I've told you to trust in me and you said, I'll have none of it. I'm going to trust in horses. Makes more sense. He said, okay, you trust in horses. You put your faith there. You misplace your faith in horses. I'll see to it that one person will cause a thousand of you to flee. And I'll see to it when you place your trust in horses that whatever you do will fail until there's nothing left. Until there is nothing left. Those of you who've gone down to Egypt, has it ever seemed to you that, that nothing goes right down in Egypt? And, and does it seem like that when you misplace your faith that, that there's somebody always seems to be fighting against you and there is a barrier there, a wall that you can never never seem to get over. Let me tell you who's fighting against you. God Himself is. And what God says is this. You, place, you misplace your faith and I'll see to it that you fail and fail and fail. And I'm a testimony that that's correct. May I say in conclusion, 
Somebody said, when our preacher says, finally, he doesn't mean immediately. <laughs> finally. You don't have to go to Egypt. I need to say that again in case you missed it. You don't have to run to Egypt. That's a misplaced faith. You can go to God because He cares for you. Ann Blotch didn't understand that at first. She was raised in a terrible home. She had awful memories. Her father and mother quarreled violently. Her mother was a schizophrenic. One time she got, several times she got a kitchen knife and threatened Ann's life. She spent hours hiding under her bed as her mother raged through the house with a knife. When she got up old enough to leave home, she was scarred by that, those experiences. She married and became very prosperous. She was a wealthy, the wife of a wealthy man, but she was so scarred by those horrible experiences. Crippling arthritis began to come into her body. Her children had to comb her hair for her. One day she met the Lord Jesus and was saved. She began the quest of determining how to live for Him. And when her mother died, she went back to her house, the house of her childhood. She went upstairs for the first time since she was a little girl and sat on the bed she had, she had hidden under. And while sitting on that bed, she broke down and started weeping. She wept and wept and wept. And all of a sudden she said, I felt these arms around me invisible arms and I heard a still voice say you don't ever have to be afraid again I'm with you and she walked out of that room and the arthritis left her never to be afraid again you can trust him I want you to see him neath the old olive trees with my Savior alone on his knees. I've been to that place. Across from the Kidron Valley, there's this little garden of Gethsemane, and there on his knees he prays, not my will, but thine be done. Father, I don't want to die, but I know I can trust you. And he walked out of the garden of Gethsemane with such power and confidence that when they came to arrest him, they fell back as dead men. You can trust him. And I remember reading all those marvelous stories of the concentration camps. Two of them and I'm finished. Of a woman who was taken from her children, her home, her husband, placed in a concentration camp, and one day she prized out of the walls of the camp a piece of brick, chalky piece of brick. And she took that chalky piece of brick and made the sign of a cross on her bed linens, crawled under those bed linens and slept for the first time. And a little girl, hardly a teenager, to be executed at midnight, walking out to the place of execution, quoting the Apostles' Creed so loudly that it shook the hallows of heaven. You can trust him, I tell you. 
You don't have to go down to Egypt. You have only to go to faith. Let's pray together. This invitation, Lord, let us hear your voice. Know that the one who attended the death of the sparrow, the insecurity of life, Help us to reach now out to the place where we've placed our faith. Trustful surrender in rest. We pray, Lord, for that to be done. Spirit.